Welcome to the Bodies by Brent podcast. I am your host, Brent Ruska, and we have another bomb episode for you today. Karina Don, co-founder of Tone It Up, is a wellness entrepreneur, New York Times bestseller, author, NAMI, board advisor, and a passionate mental health advocate. Growing up with her mother, who was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic, her childhood was filled with traumatic experiences that resulted in repressed emotion, guilt, shame, and suicide attempt. She knows from experience that suffering in silence only reinforces the stigma surrounding mental health issues and creates barriers with preventing healing. Karina shares her journey with her mother uh, having schizophrenia and creating the foundation, The Big Silence, helping people end the silence and get the help that they need. She is very vulnerable in this episode, and I am very grateful. So if you are suffering from mental health or know someone that is, this is a powerful episode and a message that should be shared with every single person. So thank you for listening to this episode. Before we jump into this episode, give a shout out to our sponsor, Athletic Greens. I started AG1 month, two months ago now, and I'm absolutely loving it. If you've been following me on TikTok, I successfully quit caffeine for about nine days. And on the ninth day, I broke. Really what I should have done is maybe float tank, more sonic cold plunge to break through. I, if I could have just got one night of sleep, it seems based on all my clients quitting caffeine for three to five days. Usually that's about the hump and everyone feels a lot better. So, oh, it's, you know, do it. Give it up for five to seven days and then gently start to re-enter it back into your system. You'll get extra good sleep. You'll have a better connection, less addicted connection to caffeine. There's nothing wrong with caffeine at all. It is an amazing neurotropic. It's amazing for increasing athletic performance, but we always want to be increasing our sleep quality and it's good to take it out and you know see what your connection is to this drug because that's what it is my new goal now is i'm going to stick with matcha only and try to take weekends off from caffeine best of both worlds the fact of the matter is i am just a better trainer with some caffeine in my life so it was a good experience but i'm going to try to create a little bit more balance and the total milligrams in a week is going to go down significantly and way less acidity having something that's more alkaline and green versus something that's literally pure acid because your body's always trying to balance its ph right and the more alkaline things you can have the better in my opinion you're going to feel and so i say bring in things like athletic greens because they are very alkaline and they make the body feel really good AG1 is a small micro habit with big benefits. It's the one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself. It's cheaper than getting all the different supplements for yourself. You're investing in all-in-one nutritional insurance. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash bodiesbybrent. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash bodies by Brent to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Enjoy this episode. 
Karina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> I'm nervous because I don't know if anyone out there is a trainer or has a trainer, but trainers become like your friends and your therapists where like during a session you just blah. <laughs> <laughs> so Brent knows me quite well and I said there were no off topics. How are you feeling from Monday's workout? Great. Yeah. yeah. Good. How have you been liking training? I'm, I've been loving it. It's really good for me. And even with Tone It Up, we always say like trainers need trainers because 100%, yeah. sometimes we lose our own motivation. And especially going through a pandemic where I stopped working out, um, I found you and, you know, you come over and you make me do it. <laughs> yep. Even if I complain. And it's been really good to help me get back in my flow of, loving to move my body yeah and of course you know my main goal was just having strength and mm. becoming stronger so i'm i'm feeling good and uh, everyone around me and even my friends that you know are in town right now they're like wow look at your butt i was like <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah you, you do great and soon you'll have a squat rack and then we'll really be taken off yeah i'm excited and did you sauna cold plunge this morning I did not. I although okay. So sometimes when I don't have time to fully sauna cold plunge, mm -hmm. what I do is go back there and I put my arms in and my head. I like that. And I literally was on a work call, put the call on speaker to the side, and I was like putting my head in the plunge and yeah. like then like yes, I agree. <laughs> I'm <laughs> like, what is it? That's awesome. So anybody who was on that call, I'm sorry, I have no clue what you said. I was dunking my head yeah I was, I was getting i was getting that energy going yeah what about cold plunge do you do you like you know it for me it's mental mm -hmm. because when you're in the cold water there's a few things number one mental and i got my cold plunge and even when my mom was passing and i was mm -hmm. going through a lot of things it was the end of her life even to my husband i would say it, it would be nighttime and i'm just overwhelmed and drained and i'm like can you just take me to the cold plunge? And I would just go lay in there because it, if you can focus on surviving in that water, I'm mm -hmm. usually around 42 degrees. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a meditation for me. Mm -hmm. And that is in the evening or in the morning. I don't drink a lot of caffeine. Mm -hmm. I think you know that. Um, and it's like five shots of espresso, for, espresso for me. So it's energizing. It It's so good. Cause it takes you out of your head. Yeah. Just like you have to be present. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. How long have you been doing it for? We talked about this the other day. I, I did it 15 years ago at like a spa in Santa Monica where they had like the sauna and plunge and hot tub. You didn't, no one was really talking about it back then. Yeah. Like, why are you doing this? Other than like, I just wanted to go because it made, made me feel good at my home now, probably a year. And yeah, and it's from plunge who is a, a friend of ours um it's a it's amazing i mean it, it's obviously like a privilege to have one at home totally yeah i'm trying to invest in one soon i think over time the cost will come down but i think everybody should eventually have a plunge in their house yeah the cost needs to come down there needs to be a company out there and plunge actually is like half the price of most of it is yeah other ones is, yeah but um it needs to be available for more people. Um, I, mean, I agree. You could put ice in your tub at home. It's a lot of work, though. It is. So. Yeah. I 100% agree. So you just wrote a book. I did. Well. Multiple books, but the most recent. I have three. 
Um, but the most recent I I've been working on for five years, mm-hmm. uh, and it comes out April 26th. Um, it's near and dear to me for sure. The big silence. So mm-hmm. tell me what is the big silence? So the big silence overall is the book. Well, the meaning of it is it's all surrounding mental health and it's the things that we don't want to talk about and that no one wants to talk about. So they're quiet. It's like something happens the day before and then you wake up and you just have breakfast with your family like nothing's going on or you go through your life uh, with your friends and you're shoving these emotions and things that are going on behind the scenes down. And so the big silence is actually about making noise. And so it's my memoir, uh, which is about my, myself and also my mother and my family. I can't tell my story without ta- telling my family's story. Mm-hmm. My mother was diagnosed paranoid schizophrenic and she suffered from depression. She was suicidal her entire life. And she was diagnosed when I was 12. Mm-hmm. And it was a very difficult relationship, especially for back in the 90s when no one was talking about mental illness or mental health and uh, having a mother who was in and out of the home and in the hospital and missing persons having private investigators try to find her and then she's you know back home and um, having her uh, schizophrenic beliefs that she would always share with me privately Um, it was really hard and so This book is the story of me, little girl, Karina, Mm -hmm. and the overcoming, um, my suicide attempt at 12 or 13, and then my own situational depression um, by living in a situation and a home that I lived in. And then the, yeah, the overcoming and the becoming um, to, from someone who thought they would never be anyone Mm -hmm. and they would little Karina thought she was going to become like her mother and her grandfather my grandfather who I never met um was schizophrenic and committed suicide and so it's really just the story of showing like it's okay that you can go through all these dark places but how to find hope in those dark places to rise above it all and um so there's the big silence, there's the, the memoir. Mm-hmm. We're also a 501c3 nonprofit. We have programming, we have corporate wellness, um, and then also a podcast. Yes, an awesome podcast. Thank you. Yeah, pretty new as well, yeah? Yeah. yeah. I never was planning to have a podcast. And then through my own community and through Tone It Up's community, so many women are DMing me and like all these topics were coming up and like, we want to talk about this. And it was all surrounding mental health. So I was like, okay, I need to get out there and serve. Like, that's where my my living is, or just like my passion now. Definitely. Is being able to serve others. Definitely. And Ta- save lives, which yes. we are. I love it. And tell me, what is schizophrenia? How does it show up? What is it, the definition of it? Yeah, so my mom was a paranoid schizophrenic okay so delusions like hallucinations okay so you know i can only speak from my mom's situation where she would see things do you remember like a first or 
in the very beginning when she would start to express seeing things? Yeah, things on TV and she would record everything and like polit- she was very political, very religious. It got to the point where we weren't even allowed to wear graven images on our clothing. Like so if I had a flower on my shirt, I'd get kicked out of the house. Whoa. If I brought a CD, because that was what was around these days, with um, an image on it, I would get kicked out of my house. Like money, like a dollar bill with a president's face on it, she'd cross out. Like we couldn't, it was any graven image because in her belief, it was the religious things is that you're kind of praising that or honoring that kind of, you know, that's your God if you're looking at a graven image. Wow. And you're like, your face is like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I I know. So then I started, you know, and she also then believed that my dad was part of a satanic cult who was part of trying to take over the world. And then my friend's parents were part of this cult and everyone was trying to take over us. And like it was, and as a 12 year old, when you're hearing this from your mother, you believe it. So imagine being a 12 year old and you're like, Okay, my dad is the devil. My friend's parents are the devil, devil's friends. They're taking over the world and they're trying to eventually kidnap us. That's intense. Yeah, it was. It's very intense, but it's all in the book. It's a lot to say just on like a podcast totally. and understand. Yeah, and I want to give people you know little yeah. bites so they you know really dive in this book because they should because it's super interesting. What was it? What was the feeling of being in the home as you were as you know? So it's around like, what, 12, you said it started to really show up? Yeah, and it probably showed up prior to that. But when she finally was the first time that she left the house and was a missing person, so I was around 12. How did it feel? I'd imagine you're just by yourself. Even you as a grown man, Mm -hmm. if all of a sudden no one's talking to you and no one's talking about what's going on around you and you're alone and you have to figure out how to survive Mm -hmm. and that is where I basically at 12 years old was like I had to figure out how to survive on my own because I was embarrassed to talk about what was going on at home or even make sense of it right yeah I mean you don't even understand what is normal I have no clue yeah and so but at that point the only thing I had to turn to was smoking cigarettes, doing drugs, going to raves, mm-hmm. like that early and just escaping. When did you start doing all that? 12. <laughs> wow. First rave at 12. No, the first rave was probably 14. Okay. I waited a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. But I literally like skipped school all the time with my friends. We yeah. would like wait at the bus stop and then we'd be like, let's hide behind that bush. And we'd like miss the bus and then just like go party all day what was the feeling you got from wanting to do those things was it the connection to people also doing so it's just like a that feeling of a bond or was it just escape like escaping yeah escaping because my reality was so confusing and when you're that young and your brain has not developed yet Mm -hmm. i'm like what is going on i just want to have fun i just want to live my life i just want to go do this and that's what it became. And I always think back now, too, because I had a really a community of ravers, which I believe you said you were a raver at one point. I still am. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a much more mature, responsible, uh, yes, adult raver. <laughs> but but like back then, like there were no, there wasn't security. No one's checking IDs. No, you were a in true a weird... rave back then yeah. was 
underground 100%. Yeah. You're on your own. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, I just I think back now and I'm like, I wonder what this person is doing or this one or what was really going on mm. with them because I was the same age as them. And the reason I was escaping was to escape my my home was everyone else, too. And we just weren't talking about it. Yeah, that's super. That's super interesting. Yeah. I had a my client today told me that there's studies that show that people who grew up with schizophrenics in their lineage tend to be very successful entrepreneurs. Really? And she said, and also people who are creatives like writers and musicians. And it's because I think they had to be self-sufficient and they have a higher risk tolerance. Oh yeah. I would, I think what you mean by risk tolerance is I have been through it all and I've been to the bottom of the bottom and that when stuff happens to me through business or business relationships, I'm like, eh, not a big deal. I'm, I am I take risk. Even with the big silence and starting this, and my husband fully supports me, but he's like, Karina, this is a lot. I'm like, I know. I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I am taking this risk because I believe in the mission. I believe in me. I believe in taking risk. Because if you don't take a risk, then you can just do nothing. And, yeah. but yeah, so and that's you interesting. A, you have a huge vision too. And, you know, you tell me stuff during sessions. It's like, it's amazing. Like, yeah. I'm like, how is she managing all this? This is incredible. You know, she should be so impressed. I mean, it's incredible. And all this is possible because you're willing to just in the face of fear, just keep going where a lot of people, it's like, I think that's what holds people back in life. You get to these edges of fear and uncomfortableness and you just stay. Yeah. And I'm so used to uncomfortableness Yeah, <laughs> that I think some people are like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I, I can handle anything. And so that's one of like, I would never change anything that happened in my youth. And like the stories I have that I did as a teenager, and I'm actually still alive to be here mm. and speak and do these amazing things that then now I can help others. I, it's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. Take me to just one of your most wild nights of raving, partying, letting go. Oh. <sighs> so many um i think you one time told me about going to like a crack house oh that was after the rave (laughs) rave season of my life that was when i moved into the hollywood season oh (laughs) tell me about that okay and and everyone here i just want to preface this where um when i started tone it up and i had this like crazy past i was talking to Kat, my uh, friend and part business partner. I was like, no one can ever know about my past. And I'm like, wait a second, what am I hiding? Like there's a story and there's actually strength behind it on how you can turn your life around from feeling like you're not worthy of anything and then building something great and moving into a life. Like, you know, my life now, like it's, I would never even at 18 years old, 20 years old, 22 years old, imagine to be able to, and I'll get back to the crack house, um, (laughs) to be able to feel, fall in love, to get married, to have a successful job, to have a passion. Like I never thought that was worthy or possible of me, but it is. And it, it's, it's reality. 
Yeah. The Um, unthinkable can be possible. Yeah. And it's a lot of work. It's actually more work to turn yourself around than to stay in the same bad patterns. And I know that. And it's always a journey and um, a work in progress. Totally. So back to that crack house. Um, (laughs) When people hear this, they're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) So after the rave season of my life, I then moved to Los Angeles in the middle of Hollywood. How old are you now? Uh, I'm 18. And back in the day, they did not card you or ID you. Oh, wow. Or you had a fake ID and they didn't have the scanners and all that. This is 19. 1999 2000 y2k when the world was gonna oh, fall yeah, apart, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know and um so i would be at the club and i went to all like the hollywood clubs with all the celebs and and we would either the clubs close at 2 a.m in la and we'd either go to someone ex celebrity's house for an after party or if that wasn't available we'd go to like compton and um, to a crack house where you had to have a secret code like word to get in and then you could order i can't believe i mean i i actually don't think this part is in the book <laughs> i think i <laughs> skipped over it um but you literally and it probably still exists today literally can order like cocaine or whatever on a tray where someone brings it out and wow. there's just like people with guns and they're sitting around but everyone's lounging it's like whenever I bring this up, people are like, I don't even know how to respond to this. Can't fathom it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> still here, though. That's my thing. I'm like, still here. Resilient as hell. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. What a. Did you have a favorite drug? I just wanted to ask that. My favorite back then was ketamine. Yeah. Which I think we've talked about this because it's. It wasn't microdosing, I'll tell you that. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was very I mean, and I am not glorifying any of this at all. No. Um it was because I was a very sad person and needed to escape and I I would always mix everything. And I always say in today's world, and I put this out there, like if I was in today's present present day doing all that I did back then, I would not be alive, especially because of all the fentanyl that's cut into everything. It's way dangerous, way more dangerous. And so I would say that anyone out there, do not do it. Like yeah. any street drugs, it's laced. I had one of my best friends just lose her sister wow. to um, a laced cocaine with um, had fentanyl. And um, I know many people who have lost their lives even in the past year. So I'm so grateful that um, I'm not in that place today. Yeah, I'm grateful too. So then when was the shift? When was like your lowest point where you're like, I need to get out of this? My So my lowest point, and again, I believed I was going to be like my mother and be schizophrenic. But there was a day, uh, I think I was 22 years old. Um, it seems really young, but it really, after a decade or more of this, um, I was on a three-day bender on crack, cocaine, you name it, everything, probably some E, whatever, you know, three days, probably some mushrooms, I don't know. But I was sitting in a park and I the sun was coming up and I was with a friend. And so when you're 
you put yourself and your body and your mind through all of that. And then when you come down, the depression sets in and you're like, I, I hate myself. Like, what am I doing? So, um, but I had this moment as the sun was coming up and I was like, some higher power was speaking to me in this park where I was like sitting and I was like, Karina, you are better than this. You are meant to be greater than this. And so I listened to that and I said to myself, I am better than this. I am greater than this. I am not going to be like my mother. And um, I stopped. I mean, I, I definitely like dabbled a little more, but I, I really started transforming myself. I was remembering like, what, when was I happy? What made me happy? And I remembered, you know, I ran my first half marathon when I was a little girl in like sixth grade and I loved it. I loved running. And so I decided to sign up for a triathlon and I trained for a triathlon, run, bike, swim, hated every moment of it. As you know, sometimes they, <laughs> they yeah. but it's not like you just put yourself in that. But then once you're done with it, you're like, oh, I accomplished something. So I, I trained for this race and all by myself. And, um, I woke up when it was race day. I lived in LA at the time. I, the race was in San Diego. I woke up 2am, packed my truck up with my bike and my gear. I went down there by myself and I did this triathlon. I, my heart was racing during the swim. I like couldn't breathe, but I learned like my breath and I just started counting my breaths to get through it. I pushed myself through and then I crossed that finish line and I cried. And I was like, that's the first thing I ever put my, my mind to and my goal to and I actually accomplished it because I never again never believed that I would ever accomplish anything so this was the first thing in my life that I actually followed through with and I did it and I finished and so from that moment I was like hmm I can do anything wow and so I just kept going and um start I got into triathlon um you know, got certified in personal training because I was, as a little girl, I always said I wanted to be a trainer. And um, I just, I started surfing. Instead of going to the club at night, I'd wake up in the morning at sunrise and go jump in the ocean. Um, I just, yeah, it was that one little thing where, and I would say for anyone out there listening, like, how do you start, how do you overcome your disbelief in yourself? Like literally for me, it was just crossing a finish line. Like go sign up for a race like, and cross that line and be like, I accomplished something. It's like the little things that matter. Um, so these accomplishments and this exercise and working out and just feeling better was like the beginning of building your self-confidence, but also a therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about some moments on, you know, any particular race where you experience maybe, I don't know, processing a lot. Um, I was doing a half Ironman and it was in San Diego again. And there's like this hill that is like, it's, um, at camp Pendleton. And if you've done this race, you know, like it's straight up and I'm like in this or surrounded by just 
men who are getting off their bikes and walking up the hill. And I'm like, I'm not getting off my bike. I'm pedaling. And I fucking did it. And I got to the top of that hill and I was like, yeah, (laughs) it's like those little things or even on that bike ride, I think it was like three and a half, four hours of riding. Um, And then you're on your own on like just straight paths for a long time. And I think with triathlon, it it really challenged me because when you're solo for that long and I, I went through like screaming on my own. You can't listen to music or anything like that. So it's just you and your thoughts and your bike. And I would sing to myself, scream. I started crying because I was doing this. And then I, there's a thing in triathlon where they say, oh, you just pee on yourself because you can't get off your bike and waste time. And I was like, I'm never doing that. And I did it. I (laughs) freaking peed on myself. I was like, yeah. (laughs) I'm legit now. (laughs) I'm a triathlete. I mean, it's just just like those little things like that you think you will never do, but you make yourself do it. It gives you that courage to be like, I can do this. And it's not caring, you know, not like just – not, I'm not saying not caring, but just going for it, not caring what other people think, yeah. what other people do, and, and breaking your own boundaries. I love it. And then when did you start to apply other therapies? So you were doing exercise, but mm-hmm. was there a point where you're like, I think I need to add something else? And what were some therapies you did that you really enjoy and maybe recommend? At that point, I did get into therapy, which is interesting, too, because I was dating someone at the time, this guy Hayden. RIP. But, um, and I, when I said, I want to go into therapy, he was like, therapy's for crazy people. And this is what society was yeah. back then. Big silence. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I'm like, no, I actually need to go talk to someone. We need to normalize. Which is very brave yeah. then. Yeah. Um, but so I would go into therapy. I read every self help book in the world. Um, and, Let's see. And then since then, I've done EMDR. Um, what is EMDR? I always get this wrong. Eye movement. I don't know. It's a, so you know, I, I'm terrible at explaining it, but I've done it. So at my therapist, she would have um, like something. You can either use your eyes or um, sensors on your fingers. Okay. And then you go back in your brain and like memories and try to pull stuff out. But it, it's for trauma. Mm. So, um, I actually did a podcast with Gabby Bernstein. So if you're listening, go listen to Gabby's description of it. Cause she's way more eloquent at it than I am. There you go. <laughs> um, but, and what else? And then for me, movement yoga nowadays, like the red light there. So when I go in and Fred sauna, even at home, um, red light in there and then the cold plunge and that's it. And honestly, now I've never, uh, I obviously, I don't, have depression or obviously schizophrenia but obviously all of us have um our ups and downs and ebbs and flows which is completely normal yeah you're not meant to be happy all the time yeah that would be weird yeah then you wouldn't know what happy is no exactly (laughs) but yeah for i'm getting in nature hiking it's just the natural things i've never taken any um prescriptions or anything for I just am like, I know my body and my mind and what I need. But I will point out that a lot of times when we know what we need, we're our own worst enemy. And we're like, I'm not going to work out. I'm not going to get in nature. 
I'm not going to go into my cold plunge. I'm just going to sit here and wallow. And that's like the worst. But I, I know that in myself where I'm like, Karina, don't do this. Get your butt up. Go do this. You know. So that's like the sign. When you have resistance, that's you use the resistance as a sign of I need to do this. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And then when was the point you decided I need to write a book? Well, that happened. I've always wanted to. Mm-hmm. I'm not always, but like probably the past like decade just as therapy. It is therapy, journaling, writing. And then I got a call from my mom's friend, or it was actually an email, um, that my mom was in the hospital and she had had a stroke. And this was when my mom was not talking to me again. It happens quite regularly. Mm -hmm. And so she was in Seattle and in a hospital. So I flew up there the next day and visited her and I was up in Seattle every weekend to visit her in the hospital. She had been there for three months already. And the doctors there said to put her on hospice because she had two weeks to live. And I said, no. And during that time, I was so stressful again because my mom didn't want me and wasn't talking to me. And I went there and I said, do you want me in your life? Cause I can help you. And she said, yes. And as I left the hospital on one weekend, she said, I love you. And then I went in a hosp- the hospital bathroom and just cried because she hadn't told me I, I love you since I was a little kid. But anyway, so I took her under my wing. and But during that time, I did think she was going to pass. And I just was like, I'm going to start writing this story. And I thought I'd be done with the book in a year. But the story was not done which is interesting. It took five years to write it. So I brought my mom back to California. I changed her diet because her cabin in, in Washington, when I went and cleaned it out, it was like fast food, microwave meals, oh, wow. vodka bottles, this, like it was bad. Oh, wow. So I got her on the green juice. <laughs> nice. Good. Got her lifting weights and she Did started, you? yeah, she yeah. started with water bottles. Like she couldn't walk from here to where you're sitting wow. when she was in the hospital. Okay, yes. So she started lifting her water bottles to start with, and then we got her weights and changing her diet. She was eating greens every day, and she lived another five years where the doctor said two weeks. That's amazing. Yeah. And that's the book just is, again, me as a little girl with her, the relationship with her. And then, you know, I was, as Terry Cola was on my podcast, she's a psychotherapist. She said, I'm a overachieving what is it what, i remember the term what, too but i can't what, remember no. either uh, what is that codependent overachieving uh, codependent yeah, yeah, yeah. i was like i am <laughs> like, what's the definition of that <laughs> meaning you're so you're almost you people can't tell you're codependent because you're so yeah effective like of living and your an life. empath and like yeah. you know i was like oh i was like well is that a bad thing did I give too much to my mother? Because I don't regret anything. I did give a lot of my time, but then I had to find the boundary of like my life and then taking care of my mom and keeping her alive. But I also thought in this as a codependent, overachieving codependent, supposedly, I thought that my relationship with my mom was going to be healed and she would be my mom. I was little Karina like, mom. And then I was like, wait, no, I'm just here with parentification again. And so then it's like, let down yeah you're always hoping and it's it's not coming true yeah what uh when your mom passed can you talk about that grief and what you did 
to help yourself through that grief? Because I know we all in life are going to experience very deep, Mm -hmm. intense grief because life is a process of letting go. And it would be, you know, I think very helpful to everybody listening for someone who went through a very deep experience. This is the point in your podcast where I cry. (laughs) Which is totally welcome. Um, I let myself grieve. I think I had some comments from people who were like, when are you going to get over it? They they were like, I just lost my mother who was as a, for those of you who know what parentification is, like that was my child. That was my mother, my child, this weird relationship. And I was there on her bedside the last three days. I watched a human life go. I could feel her. The nurses were like, you can tell as she's going because their arms get colder. So touch her hands, her arms. I'm like, okay. And I've never kissed my mother, combed her hair, rubbed her feet until those days. And watch an actual, for those of you, and we will all experience. And I had the blessing of being able to be there to witness it rather than someone who loses a loved one and that's it. But to watch life drain out and leave a human body, it's heavy. And if you've been there, you know. And if you haven't been there and you may be there, you're going to have nightmares. You're going to have visions. You're going to have sleepless nights because it's grief and what you witness is really heavy. And even my husband, he was one of the ones who was like, Car, when are you going to get over this? Like, you have no clue what I just went through. Allow me the space. Allow me to not want to get out of bed for two weeks. I need to rest because also my life was so consumed around my mother and taking care of her and talking to doctors every day and doing this, that then finally I was like, what do I do? It's like this space in my brain was all of a sudden free, this time in my day. Like it it was, it's a transition. And then also remember since I was a little girl, I had this trauma and this traumatic relationship that now I have to work through that because poof, it's gone. Like, who am I? It's a huge trans transition. Yeah. What are some of your, you know, thoughts or advice for people going through grief to help themselves through grief? Don't let people say, when are you going to get over it? Because <laughs> um, it's take your time. Um, talk to somebody. There are grief therapists and who specialize in this. And allow your, it's literally, allow yourself the time. I would say at least three to six months before you even get back in a routine, which is okay. Um, and then remember those things that make you happy. Getting in nature working out, meditation, cold plunge, whatever it is, reading, things that make you happy. you got to allow yourself the grief. And then as you ease out of it, getting back into the things that you love. And it doesn't go away. And I'm only seven months out. 
um, for my mother's passing. And I, I'm, it's, I've seen a complete shift in myself in a few ways, but there are those days where those visions come back and I can't sleep at night and it's difficult, but I'm, I'm, it's a very, very different from the first, second, third month. The other thing that's happened too, cause, um, I had put on a lot of weight dealing with my mom and I think it's like the hormones of it all. And I stopped working out and then I was probably just eating bad. And I literally, since my mom passed and started working out with you and lifting weights, although I'm not great at my nutrition because I'm just like so busy and like, don't even think about it. (laughs) But like all of the weight that I had gained when taking care of my mother and stopped taking care of me, it's all gone now. And it just like between hormones and the stress and then taking time for me again and doing the things that make me happy. Um, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. What is your, now you're about to go on tour. Yeah. Tell me about tour and where are all the cities you're going? So people listening can yes, drop we, in and see you. So book comes out April 26th. It's called The Big Silence. The tour starts May, oh, actually, end of April. Go to thebigsilence.com because I'm going to get this wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're in Las Vegas, LA, Houston, Miami, Atlanta, New York, Boston, Chicago, Indianapolis, Nashville. Missing a few in there. Cool. And yeah. Austin, of course. Ending it here in Austin. I love it. Uh, and you have a big bus. It's all wrapped. Super exciting. You're taking your weights with you. Yes. And some Pomeranians. Yeah. Um, two, three Pomeranians. I have five in case you guys don't know. Taking three Pomeranians. It's a 45-foot bus. You cannot miss us. If you see us on the road, come say hi. It's wrapped in the big silence. Um, we're also going to have the podcast studio in there doing podcasts along the way. And on the tour, depending on the location, there's either a workout, a meditation, a mental health panel, book signing, food, fun. Oh, and musicians, James, Kenny, who you know yeah. is going to be on the road, and or Kelly James. Also, we'll be in L.A., um, Jewel in Las Vegas. So, yeah. I'm super excited for it. Yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, it's a big deal. What is your grand vision with the big silence? Like if you could snap your fingers and you could have exactly what you wanted to accomplish and create in the world with the big silence, what would it be? I'm already doing it. I mean, honestly, this is a dream already. So I can only go up from here. I'm spreading the word saving lives we have a crisis text line which is you text hero to seven four one seven four one, and you get free counseling and it's um completely anonymous and we've already had so many people reach out and who were suicidal or going through anything it doesn't matter what it is you could be in a fight with your boyfriend and you need to talk to someone you can text it and you have a counselor for free that's incredible so a lot of people are using it and it's you know, we're here to change lives. We change lives and tone it up through nutrition and movement. But then combined with the big silence on the mental health side, like you need both. You need to move. You need to meditate. You need to take care of your brain in order to live your best life. So it's just another extension of helping others live their best lives because we all deserve it. I love that. Mind, body, spirit, right? Mm -hmm. You have to take care of it all. Now I want to shift a little bit because you are what I would consider a 
power manifester, a creator, right? You know, I want to get a little bit of your thoughts on how do you create this life that you have now for other people listening? Like, how do I begin to go from this place where I can't even see anything beyond what, you know, where I am now, or it's a negative uh, future to what you've created now? What are some like key principles that, you know, you follow in your life? Don't worry about what other people say or think. (laughs) Love it. We've talked about this before about like your five and 10 year plan. Mm -hmm. Like, screw that. Just do what you want to do. I think if you have a good thought and it's positive, um, go for it. I, I'm a terrible planner. I'm always late (laughs) (laughs) because I'm doing too many things, (laughs) but, but it all happens still. I would just say, and this is so cliche, but like follow your dreams. Like if you have a passion, just do it. I think like it's the fear of what, like, what if this doesn't work? Well, then it doesn't work. There's been plenty of things that I've done that don't work. It didn't stop you. Yeah. But you never, I never want to live with regret. Like that's where, um, you know, with my mom, I overcompensated or high achieving, whatever that word is. Um, codependent. <laughs> codependent. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I just, I just, I give it my all in everything. And then when I know that I can't give it my all for a day or whatever, I rest and I, I take time off and that's okay too. So it's, you know, don't be hard on yourself, but also follow your dreams and just be a good person. I love it. That's a powerful message. Okay. So where do we find you? How do we find more info again on Big Silence? Yeah. TheBigSilence.com and sign up there for the newsletter because then you can get all the info on the tour and the book. Definitely pre-order my book. Thank you. And yeah, Karina at Karina Dawn on Tone It Up or on Tone It Up (laughs) on Instagram. (laughs) On Instagram. And uh, you have great swag. All your, all your gear is super good and you have more gear coming. Yes. I'm a big swag person and your hats and shirts and sweatshirts. Like I have so many. They're so cool. They're, they're, they're rad and more cool stuff's coming. Yeah, I know. We were just talking like it's become my uniform and yours. You're usually yeah, wearing I'm like, like my last podcast. <laughs> I, that's what I was wearing. <laughs> it's easy. It's just like comfy. Swag. Yeah. It, you, you've done a great job with it. Thank you. Well, Karina, I really appreciate you being here and you know, pushing through fear and doing this because mental health is so important, especially after all we've been through in the last couple of years. Yeah, it's needed more than ever. Yeah. So thank you very much. Thank you. Boom. Another great episode. Guys, thanks so much for being here. Please leave a written five-star review. Let's keep blowing this thing up. Follow me on TikTok if you're not already. Leave a comment. I appreciate so much you guys being here. This week, see if you can cut out caffeine three days, five days, seven days, whatever it is, and then slowly enter it back in or switch to matcha for a while. Take some of that acidity out of your diet and make sure you pick up some athletic greens at athleticgreens.com slash bodies by Brent. That supports the podcast and it supports your health. I'll see you guys next time.